This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. We turn our attention to the third chapter of the Sacred Scriptures of Genesis chapter 3. And there we read the basis of our presentation this morning, our sermon, and that would be the first 15 verses. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. As Pastor Ben already reminded us of, we're beginning a new series here at Victory of the Lamb this morning. Light in the darkness. And the progression is rather easily identified. Here are the, uh, the progression of thought between now and the end of the month, including Christmas, of course. The need for the light, that's today. And then the assurance of the light, preparing for the light. The light has come. And then living by the light. So we're starting in darkness. We're starting 
figuratively speaking, to, to dwell upon the darkness of sin and shame and guilt and uh, what we've brought upon ourselves along with Adam and Eve and what they did in the Garden of Eden. Now, Mark Twain, great writer, tremendously gifted man. Mark Twain once wrote, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It is the parts that I do understand. Yeah, the, he speaks for a lot of people. Mark Twain had a very healthy ego in addition to a lot of literary gifts. He never claimed to be a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And he often, as he read the Bible, and he did read it, he f distinguished between those parts that he liked and those parts that he didn't like. And he was pretty quick to uh, poke fun at God and to find fault with certain parts of the Bible. And Genesis chapter three would be a perfect target for Mark Twain. But it isn't just Mark Twain. Now, Genesis chapter three and the truths that are here presented the account that is given, and the many, many references that follow in the scriptures, they're not popular. Uh, here is a sample. I'm going to put on screen. It is the kind of preaching that I'm thinking about here, and this is from a very prominent preacher in visible Christianity. I won't mention any name. We were beautifully and wondrously made. That's our identity. We are not broken and sinful people as described in Genesis 3. When God looks at us, he sees his children, not a corrupted creature. Stop seeing yourselves as failures. Start seeing yourselves only as children. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, there are some beautiful words in that little section of that sermon, but it's misleading. And it's incomplete. It's imbalanced. But I, I show it to you and I read it to you because this is by no means uncommon in our culture, our society, our world. I have met with people, dozens and dozens of people, to invite them and encourage them to come to church or to return to church if they were a visitor. And I can't count the number of times that people would say to me, do you talk about sin? If I come to your church, are you gonna talk to me about how I need the forgiveness and all that stuff? And they're serious, they're not trying to make fun. They're really honestly serious. And if they came to Victory of the Lamb on any given worship service here, and the moment they have the heading at the beginning, and we just had it, forgive us. As soon as you get to those words, they're looking for the exit door. They came, as they will tell us very clearly, to feel good about themselves. They want to be encouraged to be cheerful and to be helpful and to... Well, really, not have someone ruin their day. They don't want any rain on their parades. And sin 
and the mention of something like Genesis chapter three, that's gonna ruin it. They don't feel good about themselves as they read Genesis three or any of the references thereafter that, that speak of that. In all honesty, the best way to understand and appreciate Genesis chapter three is to learn from the 1,186 chapters that follow it. Because the, the information, the tone, the subject matter, it's not only repeated frequently, but also the tone and the texture and the, the reason why Genesis 3 does deserve our attention. Now here are the main points that we're going to focus on this morning. Two primary points. First of all, look closely at the darkness. What do you see? See, I'm inviting you to join me and say, yeah, there's darkness. No, more than that. This is not a true false test. Look at it as it is described and as it is set before us in Genesis 3. And then ask yourself, what am I observing here? And what do I pick up from the rest of scripture at the same time? Then look at the light. Look closely at it. And what do you see? So those will be the, the main emphases. But before we get there, I want to just look at the opening verses of this particular chapter, chapter three. And the first part of the chapter, it's, it's known to all of us. It, I, I believe that. Uh, one way or another, we've become familiar with it. You have here, yeah, uh, the devil's use of the snake. You have the uh, uh, forbidden fruit. You have the temptation. You have the disobedience. You have the, oops, I'm naked. Yeah, it's all here, as common as it is. But the main takeaways will be, first of all, it appears that the serpent, as the snake, as originally created by God before sin was in the world and before God's curse settled upon the snake, he was a, it was a different kind of creature than what we know today. Because in chapter 14 here, after the disobedience, after the fall into sin, that's when the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. We understand from the rest of scripture that it's not just the snake that was an issue here. It was the fallen angel, fallen archangel, if you will, Satan, the devil, the slanderer, the liar. That's what the names mean. His use of the snake and the cleverness that the Lord had given to the snake initially. And then the Lord, um, the, then Satan used the, the snake for his evil purposes. And then the Lord used the snake for his good purposes. To have that indelible reminder when you see the slithering, sliding in the dust snake reminding yourselves what happened here in Genesis chapter three. That is certainly a main takeaway. And then there's the skill, shall we say it, of Satan in tempting. Here's a list of things that tell you how good he is at what he does, this fallen angel. First of all, he's not straightforward, but he's going to be devious, he's going to create doubt. 
Yeah, you've heard the phrases. We read it already. Did God really say this? Really? You got to be kidding. It's just not straightforward. It's not honest. And then he challenges the character of God and the truthfulness of God's word. God said you're going to (laughs) die? Nah, you're not going to die. In fact, God doesn't want you to do this because... He knows more than you do, and he doesn't want you to learn that. And then he contradicts God's warning and judgment. You not only won't die if you eat this fruit, but you're going to gain wisdom and insight. You're going to be more like God. You're going to be able to distinguish and understand really good and evil. And then he promises pleasure without pain. Uh, The fruit tastes good. It looks good. You're really going to enjoy this. But of course, there's absolute silence on the price that is to be paid for rebelling against their Lord God and their creator. Half truth at best. So those are main takeaways. But the disobedience followed and immediately changed Adam and Eve in horrible ways And we'll use the word relationships. Look at the ruined relationships that resulted here. First of all, the relationship and love for their trust in God, the one who had given them everything. That relationship was just spoiled totally. And then there's the relationship with their own consciences. They're not only afraid of God, but they, they see their nakedness, which wasn't an issue. There was just no problem with it. Now all of a sudden there's guilt and there's shame. And then there's the relationship with each other. And that was spoiled. You notice what developed immediately. The blame game. Uh, Eve, what did you do? <laughs> Look at me. No, no. Adam was addressed first. Don't look at me, Lord. It's the woman that you gave to me. There's the problem. Uh, Eve, what did you do? Uh, Don't look at me. It's the snake. Passing the buck, the blame game. Relationships are just horribly, horribly bad. Remember 20 years ago when we began a new millennium? The year 2000, there was a lot of lists that were being drawn up and published. What were the greatest events in the history of humankind? And let's make the list, let's talk about it. Yeah, there's all kinds of lists like that with the greatest impact upon the history of humans. Now, a lot of those are things, the first use of gunpowder for weaponry, uh, the dropping of the atomic bomb, Uh, A lot of wars, starts and wars, ending of wars. And then there was the the Black Death, the Great Plague in the 1300s in Europe, decimated such a high percentage of humans. And then you would have uh, the launching of Sputnik, or you would have uh, just a lot of events that are memorable. Well, we would be quick to add, wouldn't we? Uh, We're going to talk about the... uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And incidentally, Jesus Christ did make just about every list (laughs) a number of times. 
but we would also add Genesis 3. We would add Genesis 3 to the events of the world that had the greatest impact, and it's not pretty. But that's what we're going to focus on right now. So I'm inviting you once again, look closely at the darkness. What do you see? And there's at least three things, and those are the three that I've chosen to dwell upon briefly this morning. The three things that we want to take notice of when we look at the darkness. First of all, Adam and Eve were not just a man and a woman. Eve and Adam were not just representing themselves. They're the, uh, the beginning of human race. And so what happened to them happened to the human race. It happened to us. Now we're talking about what is known in religious circles as, well, one of two terms that are used. Original sin is one of those terms. Uh, Mark Twain was not a lover of those whole concepts, but uh, original sin, it means it's a sin that pertains to our origin. Our being conceived in our mother's womb, our being born, that's our origin and sin is there. Wow, we never had a chance. We never, we had guilt before we even did anything or said anything. No, that doesn't seem fair. Inherited sin is another term that of course it's used. That we inherit from our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and so forth. Something that's not really dwelt upon in ancestry.com, but it's there in every family tree. It is guilt and it is corruption, and they go together. It's accountability before God, and we fall short. And it is the corrupt nature where the first thing that I'm thinking about, the thing that I'm really good at, is sinning in one way or another, in motive or in action or a combination of all of that. So it's, it's universal. It's every human being. And uh, here's, here's a section of scripture. It's from Romans chapter three. But if you had your open Bible and, and, and you, you, you are looking at footnotes, it's gonna remind you that every single one of these verses is a repeat. That is, they're all from the Old Testament first. That should tell us something. If God in the Old Testament distinctly speaks this way and then he has his New Testament apostles repeat it, uh, that's important. And this is what he says. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no difference, for all have sinned and are continuously, <clears throat> excuse me, continuously falling short of the glory of God. Uh, the way it's written, you don't walk away and say, hmm, I wonder how many of us are wicked in God's eyes. The answer is it's universal. The second great truth is that it's a total corruption. We're not sort of good. We're not a hybrid, if you will. <clears throat> if we jump from Genesis chapter three to chapter six, 
Now we're at the time of Noah, 10 generations later. It's time for the flood. And what does the Lord say there? Well, the Lord God saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. It's the same kind of hammering away with a sledgehammer so that the point is made. And in the New Testament, same thing. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, he did not want them to, for, to, to forget for a minute what they had been before Jesus Christ came into their heart and their lives. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, he doesn't use the word weak. He doesn't use the word wounded. He doesn't say that you're kind of sick or that you're sort of sinful or you're part good, part godly. He says, well, this is what you were by nature. So again, it, it's a total corruption. This is not a new issue. I distinctly recall entering ninth grade in Tucson, Arizona, where I grew up, kinda. I, 1959 was the year, and I walked into Miss Baker's English class, advanced English class, which means we're not gonna spend so much time on grammar, we're just gonna do a lot of literature. So this was the greatest literature in the world. The first thing that she had us memorize, I still have it. There is so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it ill behooves any of us to find fault with the rest of us. You've heard that kind of thing many times. But this isn't what scripture in either Old or New Testament talks that way. And again, that's why people look for the exit door whenever you want to talk about forgiveness or sin or issues that we carry with us day by day. And the last thing that, of course, it's deadly. Sin is deadly. You and I, <clears throat> when we look into scripture, well, in Romans chapter five and then in Romans chapter six, we'll just limit ourselves to that. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. And then the wages of sin is death. Remember that the concept in scripture of death always involves the idea of separation. Death, separation. Death, separation. And there's three kinds of separation, three kinds of death. If I'm physically alive, but I'm alienated from God, my soul is separated from God, that's called spiritual death. Then we are the walking dead in that way, unbelief. And then comes the time when my body and my soul are separated. As the soul separates from the body, and that's physical death. And then when you have the eternal separation of both the body and the soul from God, that's eternal death. Not a single one of those concepts is pretty, but they're repeated so frequently. I ask you an honest question. Have we talked this morning enough about darkness, about sin? I believe so. 
And again, that's Genesis 3, and that's all 1,189 chapters of Scripture. God's not going to quit on that, never does. But it's enough for right now. So let us turn to the last verse that I read earlier. It's, cha- it's verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3, and there's something different here. And I, and that's the Lord speaking to the snake again, the serpent, and Satan who used the clever snake. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. It's not complicated picture language, but it's, it's clear. It's the, it, it, he says, I'm going to put enmity, that is hostility and separation, if you will, between the woman, Eve, and the snake and Satan. That's kind of strange language. But remember that Eve, sadly, and Satan were getting along quite well at this moment. They were BFF. At least that's what they had in their horizon. Wow, we're... They both disobeyed God, as did Adam. They both chose the snake rather than God. And God says, I'm going to change that. I'm going to put enmity and friction between the sinners and the Satan snake. And so there's the picture language. Then he, then he launches into the word offspring, Seed, the seed of the woman or the offspring of woman or the offspring of, of Satan, uh, uh, demons, uh, unbelievers, henchmen of, of, of the evil one, whatever. Whoever is included, he says there will be enmity there too between Eve and Adam and the evil ones, plural. Then after that expansion, he finally says he... He, the masculine singular pronoun is used there, quite distinct. One of the descendants, the offspring of Eve, is going to crush the snake's head. But in so doing, is going to be struck and severely hit in the heel. So there's the picture language. There's no detail. God moves on to other issues. But my dear brothers and sisters, there is the light. Everything before this was darkness in this chapter. But there is the ray of light that is so magnificent. Even though it's not dwelt upon a great deal. So look closely at that light. What do you see? First of all, you see a promise that is being given by God that is totally and completely undeserved. What did Adam and Eve have coming to them from the Creator? Any gift, any promise, any humor, any let's talk about this joking? No. It was disrespect that they showed him, it was disobedience, nothing but punishment. And then it's a totally free gift. It, uh, well, let me put it this way. Okay, who's talking? Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. It's God talking. 
Who is God talking to? Satan, the snake. Uh, the promise, who is going to put enmity between the human race and Satan? Uh, God. Does that tell us something? <laughs> what is the duty? What is the responsibility? What is the requirement of Adam and Eve in all of that? Absolutely nothing. And in the 1,186 chapters that follow, that's not going to change. God will never ask any human being to be a part of accomplishing salvation, forgiveness, dealing with Satan the way he should be dealt with. It is a 100% free gift. It is a gracious gift of God. Never are we responsible for that. And of course, it's totally talking about Jesus Christ. Hundreds and hundreds of promises will follow that will give a lot more detail. Now my favorite picture language, and I, I don't know where I got it, but I'm, I, I, I intend to, to hang on to it until I, uh, the Lord brings me to glory. It's like the Old Testament, starting here with Genesis 3.15, gives a bit of a fingerprint, and then more fingerprints Prints, great detail are given all the way through the Old Testament. This is the offspring of the woman. This is what he does. This is what he says. This is what is done to him. This is what he accomplishes. This is the anointed one. This is the Messiah. He is the eternal prophet, priest, and king. He is the one to be betrayed with 30 pieces of silver. He'll be a Nazarene. This is the one that's going to talk in parables. This is the one that's going to give sight to the blind and et cetera, et cetera. And then when Jesus Christ comes in the New Testament, you know exactly what he does. He matches up those fingerprints. And among those fingerprints is the transfer of your sin and mine, your guilt and shame and mine, to him and his taking it to his shameful, God-forsaken death. And his using his own authority with the Father and the Spirit to rise from the dead. That you and I might know that the seed of the woman was successful in removing our guilt reconciling us to the God that we were alienated from and giving us victory. Now that's the value of Genesis 3 and what follows. Allow a brief analogy. Let's go back 12 months. December 2019. Someone mentions in a news broadcast or prints it in a news magazine Ah, there was this virus in Wuhan, um, China, and they have a vaccine. They were right on it. They developed a vaccine. If that news came to you uh, one year ago, what would, you, what would your response be? Uh, well, what would the buck score? Hey, hey, uh, uh, what's for lunch? Um, who cares? But do you see that same kind of announcement in December of 2020 
Hey, tell me more. Give me a timetable. Give me some information about this vaccine for that Wuhan virus. Yeah, COVID, that one. See, what changed is that you have learned to take something very, very seriously that needs a remedy, and we want it. And that's God's use of continuing to talk about sin and then also continuing to clarify about the Savior from sin. So that's our invitation. Look closely at the darkness and then look closely at the light. What do you see? Let us pray. Gracious Father, thank you for impressing upon us that which you take so seriously and want us to take seriously. Our separation from you, the ruined relationship, the sinfulness. Father, not only bring it home to us, but use us as your gentle and loving messengers to talk to those people who, they don't get it yet, but they have the same problem we have, and you are the same solution for them as well as for us. Thank you for giving us the light. Thank you for revealing it to us and impressing upon us that it does come for our eternal well-being. <clears throat> in that Savior, Jesus Christ's name, we pray, and therefore, in confidence, <clears throat> amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.